I was standing in line at the post office the other day. Anyone done that recently? Uh, seems like the lines always get longer and longer. This was over at 70th Street uh, at the post office there, and I heard someone, a few people behind me, venting out loud. And you know how this goes. It's quiet. For whatever reason, it's like a library in the post office, isn't it? You can hear a pin drop in there as uh, people are putting stamps on or whatever uh, is going on back there behind the counter. And so there I was, and I heard someone back there just, you know, doing the size and all of that, showing their displeasure at the length of the line. And at the same time, people were coming in the door, and our line was all the way back to the main doors going into that post office. And so you could hear more sighs as people entered and saw what they were going to have to to wait in. Uh, But there was... um, just one person at the counter. And I could understand the frustration. I was feeling it as well as I looked up and saw it looked like a long transaction, a guy with probably a million little tiny boxes that uh, he was trying to mail. But the line definitely was not moving. And someone next to the lady in line that was giving the biggest size agreed uh, with the words that she was using to describe her frustration. And the two began having this conversation. And it was a conversation about the problems with the U.S. Postal Service. I mean, that's where it began. Uh, Then it turned to our government. Whatever the postal problems were going on, it had to be one of those thanks Obama moments, right? And the government, in their estimation, was too big. That was one thing I noticed them saying. But they did complain about President Obama. They complained about Obamacare that surely the length of our line had to be because of Obamacare. They talked about no prayer in schools any longer. That was a problem. The scarcity of jobs in our world, and it just went on and on. And you've probably heard these conversations. If you turn on uh, news shows on AM radio or other stations, you'll hear pretty much the same list of problems. But the most disturbing comment was one about poor people and how they are lazy and how they just live on welfare. One of them was extraordinarily loud as she was talking about all of this. And I just kept my head straight, but I was listening. And it made all of us in line a part of this conversation. And a woman in front of me turned around, and it looked like that she was going to tell this lady to pipe down. And I thought, good, somebody other than me is going to say, you know, shut up. We're, we're all here in line. Don't you recognize it? It's kind of like talking on a cell phone in a crowd of people uh, thinking that no one else can hear you while everyone else is a part of that conversation. But instead of telling her to be quiet, she chimed in and said, that she should come to a meeting with her that evening where things like this would be discussed. She didn't say what the meeting was, but it sounded like a religious meeting of some sort. The way they were talking, they must have assumed that we either all agreed with them or just didn't mind the diatribe that they were 
they're taking in. And so I did. I bit my tongue while thinking of how Jesus himself was poor and probably was the object of the upper class disdain, just like that of the people that were there behind me in line. I also thought of how unchristian these people sounded, making judgments about the kind of people that Jesus spent most of his time with, the people that he went out of his way to talk to or went out of his way to heal and to love. But before I got too judgmental, I recognized that I often have those thoughts as well. But sometimes I love to point fingers and blame other people and forget that I have a part in what's going on in the world as well. But we are provided an effective and simple description of Jesus' activity of going out and loving people and sharing His life with other people. And it's right here in 1 John chapter 3. So I encourage you to look again uh, in your Bible or your pew Bible uh, and find this Scripture. 1 John chapter 3, 16 through 24. We heard from John's Gospel. And we also heard in the beginning of the service uh, from Psalm 23. But in 1 John chapter 3, John writes, We know love by this. So isn't this great? This was great for them. Back then, it's great for us today. It's like putting on a billboard. In case you were wondering, this is what love is. And this is how you can know what love is. You don't have to wonder about it. You don't have to ask people a bunch of questions about it. You don't have to go to school to study it. You don't even have to experience it to know what it is. He says, this is how we know what love is, that He laid down His life for us. That Jesus laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for one another. It fits right in with our readings today relating to the theme of the Good Shepherd. This is Good Shepherd Sunday. And the call to worship from Psalm 23, it is a familiar reminder to us that the Lord is our shepherd and of how God looks after us with goodness and mercy. As David said, surely, surely, God, your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in your house forever. The Good Shepherd. The Gospel of John reading uh, that we heard earlier, it informs us of how Jesus referred to himself as the Good Shepherd. And John captures those words for us. He is one who lays down his life for his sheep, and one whose sheep know and follow his voice. I mean, it's a beautiful thing to hear Psalm 23. And to get that imagery in your mind. We did that this past week in in chapel with Visions of Hope. And and we just kind of went back and thought about how lush uh, everything is right now with all the rain and the the sunshine. And and even if if it's a bunch of weeds in your yard, it's lush. You could go down, you could go out in your yard and just... Uh, lay down on your back and and look up at the blue sky when it's not raining and enjoy 
the uh, beauty of nature all around us. That's comforting. And that's what the good shepherd or what God, our shepherd, does for us. He leads us into refreshing places in our life where we can know that God is shepherd. But Jesus takes it a step further, doesn't he? And he says, the shepherd, the good shepherd, lays down his life for his sheep. It's getting up close and personal. And so this is how Jesus referred to himself. And what John has written in this letter, in 1 John, gives practical application to his readers, including us today. We are here reading or hearing these same words of how the laying down of one's life for another is the true litmus test for determining real love and relationship with God. In other words, they could tell if they were truly connected to God based on how they were connected to one another. If they truly loved God, they would truly love each other. And if they truly loved each other, it would be visible in how they were laying down their lives for one another. Simple as that, right? I'm thinking it would be interesting for us to use this as a litmus test for Christians today. Especially as we look at Christianity of today as it exists in our nation. We can look at other uh, people and other nations and see how they follow Christ. But as we look at our own nation and, and those of us within this nation who claim to be Christians and follow in the way of Jesus... How would we do on this test? I mean, if Jesus were to give us a pop quiz and say, here is your test, and I want to see how you're doing with this whole love thing, with how you actually love me and how you love one another. Making things even more personal, what about using the test on our own lives? As you look at your life, does your love pass the test? Are you and I able to see where we have laid down our lives for one another? Or does the record of our lives show that we have had amazing belief and even remarkable attendance of worship on Sundays? But what might be missing is the one crucial thing that matters most to God laying down our lives for one another. Wait a minute, we say. Well, that's a matter of interpretation, isn't it? I mean, everything is a matter of interpretation, right? We believe in that. We allow for that kind of freedom, especially in our church. But what may look like love for others may be different for each one of us. Like this morning, you could say, I gave up my parking space for someone else. I didn't, by the way. That counts, doesn't it? If you give up your parking space or uh, there was one donut left and it was with chocolate sprinkles on top. And I wanted it, but I made sure that someone else got it. What about that last little swallow of coffee? I mean, that last cup of coffee, especially Richard wasn't here this morning. He is our brewmeister coffee maker. And um, you get to the coffee pot and there's somebody with a cup behind you and 
you go ahead and get that last cup of coffee. And if that happened this morning, by the way, I have no idea. I am not standing in judgment on any of you for that last cup of coffee. But we could say, well, that, you know, that's love. I gave up. I laid down my life so that someone else could have that cup of coffee. I mean, these are probably not what we would offer as proof of our love, but we may reason with God in much the same way, right? Well, God, I did do this, and I, uh, I took care of this person, or I did this thing, and, and that really shows that I love you and I love my neighbor. But do we, in our individualistic and in our consumeristic culture, do we really know what laying down our lives really means? Do we know what it looks like? Well, perhaps we need some help. And apparently the people that John was writing to, these churches that would be hearing this letter, they needed to learn and to have some help with this as well. So John didn't just stop after his comment of we ought to lay down our lives for one another. He got specific. And he wrote, How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or a sister in need and yet refuses help? Little children, let us love not in word or speech, but in truth and in action. This sounds just like what we heard from James last week. It sounds and looks just like Jesus, doesn't it? The laying down of their lives was to be evident in how they met one another's needs. And John knew that there were some situations going on within uh, this particular church where uh, some people had a whole lot more than other people. And there was not that sharing with one another. It's kind of like the love feast, the agape meal uh, where... Paul would have to write and say, you guys are are missing the point of communion. When you gather together, uh, it's really whoever could be in line first, and you eat up all of the food, and the people who really need the food don't get it because you ate it. And you're not observing communion in the right way, and you certainly aren't observing your discipleship of Jesus Christ in the right way. Jesus gives us a new command, and the laying down of our lives is a part of that. And it was notable to the historians of the time who recognized that there were these people who were called Christians who were actually doing what Jesus said, that they were the only ones who were taking care of strangers dying in the streets. And this was noted by one of the historians that, look, I don't know who these Christian people are, They believe in the resurrection and and this guy, Jesus, that, that lived and was crucified and they claim rose from the dead. It's not my belief, but one thing I've noticed, whenever the diseases come in town and people are laying, dying out in the streets, the Roman citizens are not taking care of them. But these Christians, they don't even know them. And they go and care for them and loved them. They also took care of each other. Their love was laid down. And it was remarkable. And that's how our love is to be today. 
It's to be laid down for each other and for the world. And our model is just the same as the one that they used. It's Jesus. Our understanding of helping each other is to be based on Jesus' system, not on our favorite economic system or influenced by our political party or by our preference. Someone was asking in social media this week about, is, was Jesus a capitalist? Well, capitalism didn't exist when Jesus was around. Maybe some of the ideas did, but it would come along later in the 16th, 15th or 16th century. One thing we do know about Jesus is that he was completely surrendered to God. And his system was God's system for the world. If your view of helping others is determined by a pull-yourself-up-by-your-own-bootstraps mentality rather than I-will-lay-down-my-life-for-you methodology, then you need to spend some more time looking at Jesus. If your comments at the water cooler are about how people are lazy and just need to get off of welfare and get to work, then you've not spent enough time with Jesus. If you don't see the problem of making health care affordable and accessible to poor people who die of things that you are able to afford treatment for, then you weren't paying attention to how Jesus and the disciples spent time healing the sick. In short, if your love doesn't look like a cross, then you're using the wrong model. You've missed the point. Here at Church for the Highlands, you and I have ongoing opportunity to love one another and the world around us. We are a group of people who have organized ourselves around a common mission of blessing the Highland neighborhood with the love of Jesus. That is the central part of our purpose statement that goes back to day one. We exist to bless other people right here in this neighborhood with the love of Jesus. Through Volunteers of America and community partnerships, the key to our work is doing it with the love of Jesus. And the look of our love is to be Jesus, becoming more and more evident within our church family as we care for one another and to our neighborhood as we lay down our lives for it. It happens when we lay down our money, giving to the church so that we can help each other when we are in need, as well as assisting people right here in the community. There was a man who came up on Thursday night as we were preparing for the Highland Blessing dinner. Uh, we had a packed house. I think we had 18, maybe 19 tables this past week, and it was our Thursday to do it. And thank you, uh, all of you who came to serve and to help. Uh, it was a great, a great meal. But as I was standing by the door... Uh, there was a man that came in. I had not seen him before, and he was kind of dirty. looked like he had been out working, uh, maybe uh, as a plumber. or a, He just looked like he uh, had been a, out doing some, um, some very hard and difficult work. And he, 
shook my hand and he, he said, are you the pastor here? And I always say, well, that depends. But I said, yes. And he said, he handed me an envelope and he said, um, I want you to I want you to have this. This this is my tithe. I'm I'm gonna pay my tithe. And I, I said, But but you're not a, a part of this church, are you? He said, No. He said, I, I just I want I want to give this. And I looked inside as I was taking it in to put it in with our, our money, and it was two or three dollars. And I just smiled and thought, Wow. I, I doubt that that man has a lot of money. And whatever he had made on Thursday, he was thankful to God for what he had, and he, he gave what he had to God. Just like the, the woman that Jesus talks about who gives sacrificially. And it is a reminder to us that we are to give. He must have come to a meal at some point, or maybe he drove by and he saw the sign, free meal, and all the people who were packing into this place to get that free meal. And he thought, I want to give back to God. He laid down his money. And we are to do that as well. It happens when we lay down our time volunteering with one of our programs or with Highland Center Ministries. It happens when we take the abilities that God has given us and we use them to develop our community, to create jobs for the unemployed, to build esteem in the downtrodden, to give freedom to the indebted, and hope for the hopeless. It happens when we see that we are a part of the solution that God has planned for people in need and that being passive about the needs of each other and of strangers runs counter to our understanding of the good news of Jesus. Did you see the video that was making the rounds this past week in the news? It was of a man in a wheelchair waiting on a subway deck. And something happened and his chair rolled off of the platform and onto the tracks. You can see a little bit of it in that picture that comes from a camera right there in the tunnel. A few people from the crowd jumped in to get him just in the nick of time. And it sounds a lot like what happened in 2007 when a man had a seizure and fell onto the tracks. In a city where people have been known to look the other way when someone is in distress or the victim of a crime, one man jumped onto the tracks to grab the man as he was convulsing with this seizure. And he pulled him and ducked into a weather drain just seconds before the train would have run over him. He was hailed as a hero. And he was rewarded by Donald Trump. I think he was given $10,000 by Donald Trump. Kind of nice, right? Drop in the bucket from Donald, for Donald Trump. But he also received accolades from Mayor Bloomberg. When he was interviewed on Ellen DeGeneres Show and on Letterman and by other reporters, the man said the following, Good things happen when you do good. I just did it because I saw someone in distress. Someone needed help. 
Elliot Sander, the executive director of the Metropolitan Transportation Authority, called Autry's rescue a death-defying act of bravery. He says, we truly have not seen anything like this. He was at the right place at the right time, and he did the right thing. And that's where God wants us to be. In the right place, at the right time, doing the right thing. Laying down our lives for each other and for our world. Let us pray.